Father, we ask that you seal these things in our heart this morning, that you touch our hearts, that your Holy Spirit speak to us, Lord, that you make these things a living and beautiful reality to us like we have never seen before. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. What would you do if you were one of the richest people in the entire world? What would you use your money for? How would you spend it? What, what things would you search for? How would you use that money? That, that would be a fun problem to have, wouldn't it? Well, John D. Rockefeller Jr. used his money for something very interesting that later came to carry his name. You can go ahead and put the slide up. There we have John D. Rockefeller Jr. He inherited this vast amount of money from his dad, who was an in the oil industry, and he decided that he was going to purchase this sapphire. This sapphire today is known as the Rockefeller Sapphire. It's 62.02 carats at its current uh, cut. It's a beautiful sapphire that comes uh, from far away in East, Eastern Asia, or Western Asia, sorry. It's a a beautiful, beautiful gem that many people have sought after. So he had heard about this from his jeweler. He had his own personal advisor about jewelry, apparently. And he had been in contact with another guy who told them about this exquisite sapphire that was just unlike any other sapphire that anybody had seen before. And so he knew that he had to have this sapphire. And so he eventually went and he purchased this sapphire. The purchase of that sapphire, uh, he used it and had it put into a ring for his first wife, and then he had it changed a little bit and put into a different ring for his second wife, and then he eventually died. But the gem didn't die. The gem lasted, and oddly enough, the jeweler who had recommended it to him had often come by to appraise it, to look at it, to value it. He was the one who went and bought it from the family. And he bought it at that time. This was in 1971. He bought it for $170,000. That seemed like a lot at the time. But it wasn't but a few years later in 1980. It had since passed hands in a private transaction to an Italian. And then from there, the jeweler's son, who loved the story of this gem and wanted it for himself and wanted to be able to have it as part of his collection, bought it for $1.5 million. Well, just a few years later, in 1988, this same stone broke records being sold for $2.85 million at an auction not to be outdone by itself, or to be outdone by itself. In 2001, again at an auction, this stone sold again for $3 million, breaking a world record again for the second time for a sapphire being sold. $3 million for this blue gem that was unlike any other, that was just 62 carats. But as people looked at this and they saw this sapphire, it was worth so much to them that they were willing to put in their vast amounts of wealth into having this rock. How precious to you is a rock? How precious to you is the law of God? You know, in Psalm 119 verse 17, David says, show me wondrous things out of your law. 
I love Psalm 119, and if you get a chance to read it, make sure you have some good time to read it, because it's a very long psalm. I heard a story about an old Western where a guy actually had memorized Psalm 119, and when uh, he had his last request at a... uh, He was in a bad town, I guess, apparently, and he was going to be hanged. And as his last request, he asked that he be able to recite Psalm 119. And while he was reciting it, because in case you don't know it, it's the longest chapter in the entire Bible. As he was reciting it, he'd memorized it. The sheriff came into town and was able to rescue him. (laughs) So it could come in handy if you know this psalm well. But Psalm 119, it's a very long psalm, but it is a beautiful psalm as it just captures how... The psalmist loved God's law. He talks about waking up in order to meditate on the word of God. He talks about it being more precious than honey and greater value than silver or gold. In fact, C.S. Lewis wrote about Psalm 119. He's writing in the book, uh, Reflections on the Psalms. He said, the order of the divine mind embodied in the divine law is beautiful. What should a man do but try to reproduce it? So far as possible in his daily life, his delight in those statutes, verse 16, to study them is like finding treasure, that's verse 14. They affect him like music are his songs, verse 54. They taste like honey, that's verse 103. They are better than silver and gold, verse 72. As one's eyes are more and more open, one sees more and more in them, and it excites wonder. Is that the way that you think about God's law? Because that's the way the psalmist thought about God's law. C.S. Lewis goes on to say, This is not priggery, nor even scrupulosity. He used some big words. It is the language of man ravished by a moral beauty. If we cannot at all share his experience, we shall be the losers. This morning, as we've taken time to look at the Ten Commandments, my desire for us is to relook at them. To, to say, do we really understand the beauty that God has put here? The incredible beauty that God has bestowed on us. Sometimes it's hard for us because we become familiar with these things. We're used to these things. We've gotten them to just become old hat to us. And yet they are beautiful. They're wonderful. They have so much in them of value. And so I'm so thankful for our school taking the time to break them down for us and to explain even the things personally that are special to you about those laws and to sing those songs about those laws. Don't forget those verses that you've memorized because they're of so much value. But I want to look at a story today that helps me in recapturing, reimagining the beauty of God's law. Go with me to Exodus chapter 24. Exodus chapter 24 is actually the story where we find that God gives his law. It's, it's immediately following him speaking it from Mount Sinai. That was Exodus 20 where all of you recited the, the amazing commandments that God gave. Exodus 21 to 17. After that, the children of Israel, they make the old covenant promise that they're going to keep these laws Something that we recognize in the new covenant experience that we're not able to do in our own strength, but only in the strength of Jesus Christ. But here in Exodus 24, they go to confirm the the covenant. And in verse 9, God calls the leadership of Israel up to Mount Sinai. Starting in verse 9, it says, Then Moses went up 
also Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. Imagine what that was like to see the God of Israel. Do you want to see God? Jesus says the pure in heart will see God. You can claim that promise as you ask him to work in your heart. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of sapphire stone. And it was like the very heavens in its clarity. This is a beautiful sapphire stone. If you know anything about sapphires, the value of a sapphire is based partially on its color, its true blue color, like the the cornflower. They call it cornflower blue because it's like the cornflower flower, uh, the color blue. But also, the, the more clarity that it has, the purer it is, the less imperfections it has. But this stone, it was very clear. It was like the heavens for its clarity. It was like looking up at the clear blue sky. It was so beautiful. It was anything beyond anything we can imagine. Now, this isn't the only time that we find that sapphire is used in one of these theophanies where God shows up and reveals himself. If you go to Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 1, again we see something really similar. Both in Ezekiel chapter 1 and also in Ezekiel chapter 10, we see this, but we're going to go to Ezekiel chapter 10 and verse 1. What is it that God uses sapphire to describe? Ezekiel 10 and verse 1, it says, And I looked, and there in the firmament there was, above the head of the cherubim, there appeared something like a sapphire stone, having the appearance of the likeness of a what? Of a throne. Now whose throne is this? If you've gone on to read this vision. This is the throne of God. Okay, so we have this sapphire representation of the throne of God. That the throne of God is made out of sapphire. And back here in Exodus where we were in in chapter 24, it says that under God's feet, the foundation of his throne here is sapphire. This beautiful stone that was sought after by one of the richest men or the richest man in the world at the time, John D. Rockefeller. This sapphire stone that was, I mean, how big was the stone for that ring? Compared to that, imagine as they looked and they saw this incredible view of God and this sapphire stone shining like the very heavens in clarity. It's amazing when you read the ways that God revealed himself, the glory that he revealed himself with. God wanted us to be captured by his beauty. In Psalm 27, in verse 4, it says, I, the psalmist basically says that he longs to dwell in the courts of the Lord so that he can meditate on the beauty of God. Do you recognize that God is beautiful? That God is, is wonderfully beautiful, that, that there's nothing better, David says, than to just go into his house and just to meditate on how beautiful he is. You think about the sanctuary, all that went into the sanctuary, the amount of gold that went into the sanctuary, the precious jewels that went into the sanctuary, all of these beautiful things just to show this is the house of God. This is how beautiful your God is. What an incredible thing that God represents himself with such precious things, such beautiful stones, such wonderful things. So back in Exodus 24, God appears to, these children, to the, the, the leadership of Israel. He has 
Under his feet, it was a paved work of sapphire stone. It was like the very heavens in its clarity. They see this picture of God. And then verse 11, it says, But on the nobles of the children of Israel, he did not lay his hand, so they saw God, and they ate and drank. So they were able to stay there in the presence of God, and they were able to confirm the covenant. What happens right after a wedding? Any of you kids, do you know what? Have have any of you been to a wedding before? Any of you been to a wedding? What happens immediately after the wedding? What do you go to after the wedding? The reception? And what do you do at the reception? You can do a lot of different things, but that's, that's the most important thing, right? You eat afterwards. After the wedding, in order to confirm a covenant, in order to confirm a relationship, there's often a meal that takes place. You find that throughout the Bible. And here, as they've confirmed this covenant with God, they're receiving the law of God. They come and they have a meal together in the presence of God. Wouldn't that be an amazing meal to have? Sitting there, you're watching God with the, or this, this glory of God that's apparent there with a sapphire stone that's there. And then verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, come up to me on the mountain and be there. And I will give you tablets of stone and the law and commandments which I have written that you may teach them. Now sometimes we miss something here in the Hebrew. And we miss this. This, this would be more apparent uh, possibly in a Spanish Bible. But here in the English we miss something because it says, And I will give you tablets of stone. But in the Hebrew the definite article is attached directly to stone. Basically, it says, more literally, you could translate it saying, and I will give you tablets of the stone. I know, it's amazing, but you don't look amazed by what the Bible is telling you here, okay? This is astounding. I will give you tablets of the stone. So who's giving this to Moses? God is giving him tablets of the stone. Okay, so... Maxwell, I need your help, right? So if I told you to give me a Bible, Maxwell, would you give me a Bible? Or give me a hymnal? Yeah. I need it. Or give me a Bible. Give me a Bible. There's one behind you if you want. Okay, that'll work. We'll take the hymnal. Okay. So he gives me this hymnal. Okay, now, Pearl, I need... Uh, sorry, Pearl's not here. Let's have... Jocelyn, you want to help me? I need you to give me, well, let me tell you about this Bible. This Bible, I got it at the ABC at camp meeting. I got it for $10. It's a great Bible, though, because I haven't been able to find one this size, and I love to preach from this Bible. I use this Bible all the time. This is, a, this is my Bible. Hey, Jocelyn, would you give me the Bible? Now, how come Jocelyn didn't go and find a a Bible from the pew? Or how come she didn't get another Bible besides this Bible to give to me? It's a special Bible. But not only that, I said, give me the Bible. If I say the Bible and I've just been talking about a specific Bible, then I'm referring specifically for her to give me this Bible. Does that make sense? Okay. So here in this story, God shows up and he has this sapphire stone under him. It's describing this beautiful stone that's unlike any sapphire stone that they've seen, like the heavens in clarity. And then it says, Moses, come up to me on the mountain and I will give you the stone, tablets, 
What is God saying? Now, if you're like me, you've grown up and you've seen the picture of the Ten Commandments. And what, is, what color are the Ten Commandments usually like, kids? They look gray. They look like granite. But here's the amazing thing. The Hebrew text is pretty clear here as you're looking at it, that it's wanting us to picture that God took from that beautiful foundation of his throne, right? That's what his throne is made out of in the Bible. It's made out of sapphire. He took sapphire and he took those two tablets and he gave them to Moses. Let's look at something else to look at this a little uh, clearer. Let's go to Exodus chapter 32. 32 and verse 15, it says this, And Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and on the other they were written. Pretty amazing that these tablets were written on both sides, and that's what they would do with these covenant uh, things that would be given whenever you made a covenant with, with, between two people. And then verse 16, it says, Now the tablets were what? The work of God. So these weren't just something that Moses dug up, some stone from Mount Sinai, but these were from God himself, these tablets of stone. And what do you think God would make tablets look like? Imagine a sapphire that God makes. How much more valuable would that have been from the one that John D. Rockefeller made? Now that That stone eventually was sold for $3 million. So if you break down how much that was per carat, and then you compare it to something like the Ten Commandments, let's say the Ten Commandments only weighed 5 pounds. That's about 11,000 carats. Okay, so comparison, that's close to $500 million. If it was only of the clarity and purity of the Rockefeller sapphire. So imagine as Moses comes down from the mountain and he's carrying these two tablets in his hands that today would would take a price that we can only imagine because not only are they made by God, but they're also written on by God. God has inscribed on them this beautiful law. As he walks down the mountain and he's clutching these in his hands, can you imagine the children of Israel? They could probably see it off in the distance. They could probably see the commandments before he's even getting close to them. They see this beautiful thing that God has given to Moses. But there's a problem down in the camp, right? Because they've already violated the law that they said they were going to keep. And as Moses comes down, what happens to those precious tablets? He smashes them. Can you imagine what that did in their hearts? How they recognized what the violation of God's beautiful law did? As they saw those beautiful gems of of unimaginable value just smashed to smithereens there in the rocks. They recognized that violation of that law causes destruction of beauty. It causes the destruction of, of everything good in our lives. If you think about it, what if we kept all of the Ten Commandments? What would our world be like today? How many of you would like to live in a world where nobody ever stole from you? Nobody ever lied? Nobody ever cheated on their spouses? You didn't have to worry about being murdered. Everyone worshipped God. 
what an incredible world that would be to live in. And then Jesus comes down in Matthew 23, and when he's asked, what is the greatest commandment, he sums up the entire law of God, and he says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He takes the first four of worshiping God with your whole heart and says, that's the greatest thing, to worship God, but to to love God with your whole heart. But then the second six, to love your neighbor as yourself. It's as simple as that. That's why in Romans 13, 10, Paul writes and he says, love is the fulfilling of the law. The law is all about love. And so when God wanted to picture for us love, when he wanted to reveal to us what his own throne is based on, he wanted to show us what his own heart was like, he took and he made it as beautiful as possible. He gave us these sapphire tablets, these beautiful Ten Commandments written so that we could recognize this incredible beauty that he wanted us to have. And yet so often we forget how really beautiful it is We live in a country where we have some 30,000 or more laws and God gives a simple 10 that can be boiled down to two and it would make our society so much more of a livable place. Friends, we're living in a time when this is essential to remember. And God wanted them specifically to remember it in a very specific way. In fact, if you go and you look A little later on in Exodus, they were told that they were to take a blue cord and they were to tie it as a tassel around their robes. Let's look at it real fast in Numbers chapter 15. Numbers chapter 15 and verse 37. It says, again, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the children of Israel, tell them to make tassels in the corners of their garments throughout their generations and to put a blue thread in the tassels of the corners. And you shall have that that tassel that you may look upon it and remember what? All the commandments of the Lord and do them. And that you may not follow the harlotry to which your own heart and your own eyes are inclined. So God said, in order to remember these commandments, this beautiful law that represents my loving character, that represents my heart of love, of unselfishness, in order to remember this, Tie a thread of blue around the bottom of your robe. Why blue? Sapphire is the color of blue. God wanted them to remember. In fact, the priest's garments, the ephod, was all of blue. In fact, if we go back, we can look at that too. In Exodus, it it shows us that 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 was the robes that the the priest wore. But because of time, let's... We'll save some of that for next week. But let's boil it down to this. In Revelation chapter 14 and verse 12, at the end of the three angels' messages that are to go to all the world, God says, Here are they that keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. We've been talking for the last month about how to share our faith with others. 
but that's only of real value to us if we recognize how precious our faith really is. If we recognize how incredibly beautiful what God has given us is. If we recognize that the commandments aren't just some old dusty commandments from way back when, but that they are of incredible value to us today, that Jesus took them and fulfilled them and lived them in his life, and that he wants for us to live that same life of unselfishness today. He doesn't want us to keep these laws in order to save us, but he wants to give us these laws in order to make our lives better. He wants, having saved us, to empower us to keep these laws. As we live in these last days, we have a message to take to the world, and that is fear God and keep his commandments. Because in the end, it's going to be those who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus who are able to stand. We're living in troublous times. What we need is to recognize the beauty that comes from keeping the law of God, from following Jesus with our whole hearts. So I want to appeal to you. Psalm 119 verse 17 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. Maybe you haven't thought about the law as something beautiful, something wonderful like the psalmist talks about, something more valuable than silver or gold, something more tasty than honey. Pray that prayer. As you open your Bible, say, God, would you show me how the instructions, the things in your word, how these are more precious, more valuable to me than gold, that they should be more tasty to me than honey? Pray that prayer. Psalm 119 verse 17 says, Open my eyes that I may see wondrous things out of your law. And God will fulfill that that promise to you as you day by day seek to see his beauty. I want to have the heart of David to cry out and say, I just want one thing, one thing only, and that is to dwell in your house and to meditate on your beauty. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to recognize your incredible beauty. We want to see it in a fresh and living way. We want to recognize that you are beautiful beyond anything that we have ever seen on this planet. Thank you for giving us the representation of your law and engraving it in in sapphire stones so that we could see a little glimmer of how beautiful your character is and of what a wonderful thing it is that you have based your kingdom on. Father, I pray that you would show us wondrous things out of your law, that we would be filled with the love of Jesus on a daily basis. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.